Our reading this morning is from Romans chapter 6, verses 19 through 23. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Good morning. It's good to see you all. If this is your first time here, my name is Ricardo Stewart, and I'm one of the pastors here. I'm glad you can be with us this morning as we worship together. A little bit about Redemption Church. We are one church, and we have multiple congregations. We meet in different places throughout the valley, as well as Flagstaff. Uh, We believe that all of life is all for Jesus. Uh, Simply put, what that means is we believe on the cross and through the resurrection, our Lord and Savior was redeeming all things. And so we make disciples in response to that truth to be able to live out the gospel in every sphere and every sector of life that God has you. Uh, A few announcements that I have for us this morning. First is this upcoming Wednesday, we have First Wednesdays. And First Wednesdays is our opportunity to look at theology and culture and how those two things intersect. And so in the past, we've had different topics of we have art galleries, we have topics of talking through politics or homosexuality. This time, this topic for this upcoming Wednesday is creativity for the common good. So Pastor Jim Mullins will be leading us in that time. There will be a panel of people that make up um, of artists, entrepreneurs, as well as a chef who owns a restaurant here in Tempe that's going to come in and then show us some pictures of some of the creative things that he, that he makes. Unfortunately, he won't be giving us any of that food. There will be free food there, just not his food, unfortunately, right? So um, this Wednesday, 6.30 to 8 p.m., there's child care for that. No need to sign up. Just show up. Um, show up around 6.15 because we'll start serving food at 6.15 so we can get everybody in the room and get everybody fed and, and then get going and get everybody out of here on time. So that's this Wednesday. The Wednesday following that... We have Redemption Women. This is our last Redemption Women gathering of the year. Uh, We started this in September, and it's going really well. There's two options for you to go to depending on your schedule. You can go at 10 a.m. or 6.30 p.m. That's 10 a.m. or 6.30 p.m. And the topic for this week is relationships, singleness, and marriage. So it's not just dating. Um, I don't even know if we're going to be talking about dating, but it will be relationships, so friendships, uh, singleness, as well as marriage. And um, again, what you do need to do for this, those of you guys with kids, go online to redemptionaz.com and then RSVP and let us know the age of your children so that we can have the right amount of people to be able to take care of your children either in the morning or in the evening so that you can come and just uh, continue to fellowship with the other women. So that's this upcoming, excuse me, that's two weeks from this upcoming Wednesday. Now, normally what we do in this time is we have an all-of-life interview, and we usually bring someone up on stage and hear their story or what they're doing for the vocation. But today is the first uh, Sunday of the month. This first Wednesday's thing throwing me off. Today's the first Sunday of the month, and so what we were going to do on every first Sunday is we were going to highlight something that we're doing as a church, meaning redemption and why. It's something that's outward focused, something we're doing. So last month we talked about the adoption of Ahambra Village into redemption as a church. Um, and then today I want to put something before you guys. It's, it's called our outward focus grants. And this is something that we started a year ago and it's honestly one of the better things that we do as a church. 
Uh, we believe that as a church in the empowerment and the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry in all areas of life. And part of that is this saying, well, how can we carve out um, and set aside uh, a, um, a number of money for all of the members in our congregations that they can apply for grants to do things that you feel like God's called you to do? And so here's an example. People will come to churches often, not just our church, and say, I have this idea. I really want to reach these kids, and I want to do something unique. I want to start an, an art program, or I want to start a, something that's unique, and, and they want the church to do it, and we believe you could do it, and we can come alongside you and provide two things, coaching as well as financial resources if you go through this panel of people, and the panel in itself is made up of uh, members throughout all congregations. It's not just pastors. It's people with expertise um, in starting businesses and whatnot. And so that's the Outward Focus grant. Um, I want to highlight one thing that we've done that many of you may know is last year we had a resident here by the name of Oye Waddell. And Oye is now on staff at another church in the Valley. But what Oye started was an organization ministry called Hustle Phoenix, This was something that was launched through the Redemption Grants. Hustle Phoenix was Oye's desire and dream that he's seeing now, being enacted now in South Phoenix. Oye grew up in um, South Central Los Angeles, and one of the things that he noticed is that certain people didn't have the opportunities that plenty others did. And so as he went to college at University of Washington and came back and got his degree, uh, excuse me, got his master's at USC and another master's here at ASU, was thinking, how can we equip inner city kids um, and, and, excuse me, and adults to have the tools and the resources to start businesses? But not only that, but how can they be trained and discipled with the gospel? So how do we allow the truth of the gospel to intersect with the understanding of business? And let's use resources of people that we know throughout the valley that have started this to help them and start companies and organizations. So he's been able to do that, and that's something that's already gotten off the ground. Again, it's called Hustle Phoenix here in South Phoenix. And that's just one example of the many things of which you can do. And so if you're, you're one of those people that are thinking, I have an idea that I really think I can, I can, we could bless this city and we can bless this community, and I want to be able to present that, go to redemptionaz.com. All the information that you need will be on the website. We encourage you to do such, and, um, and then you can go through that process and see what God would be able to bless you. And so that's something we do. It's the Outward Focus Grants. Again, more information, you can contact Jim Mullins, or you can just go to the website and get all the information you need. Um, that's all I have for our time of announcements. So if you have a Bible, why don't you guys meet me in Romans chapter 6? And if you don't have a Bible, Raise your hand and keep it raised really high, and then someone will be able to get you a copy of God's Word, Romans chapter 6. If you don't own a Bible, please keep the copy that we're handing out to you uh, so that you could uh, keep God's Word, read God's Word, and, uh, and grow in it. Romans chapter 6. Let me, <clears throat> we've been going through Romans now for over 25 weeks. And so this is kind of where we're headed for the next few weeks. We're going to finish up Romans chapter 6 today. Over the next three weeks, we're going to finish up Romans 7, and then we're going to take a break. So starting the first Sunday of of December, we're going to be celebrating Advent, and we'll have a different series that's outside of Romans. We'll pick Romans back up at some point in January. But today, we're we're kind of tying a bow on Romans chapter 6. And what the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter, is saying is the same thing he's been saying for the past few weeks. He's been kind of using this compare and contrast language of what we used to be, and who we are now in Christ, what life is like apart from Christ, and what life is like in Christ. And so towards the end of chapter 5, he said that we used to be an Adam, which brought death, but now there's new life in Christ. And then he came back and switched metaphors and said, do not present your bodies as instruments of sin, but instruments of righteousness. 
And then he used the terminology of slavery. And last week we talked about how you can give yourselves to sin and be a slave unto sin, which leads to death. Or you can be a slave unto righteousness and obedience, which leads to life. And then what Paul has for us here in our few verses that wrap up chapter 6 is a picture, I believe, of a garden. That either we are cultivating a garden that produces fruit that leads to death, or we're cultivating a garden that produces fruit that leads to life. And so the question is, what garden are you cultivating? One that leads to death or one that leads to life? And so if you bow your heads with me, we'll pray and we'll jump right into the text this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the many opportunities that you've given us in your word to communicate the one truth. And that is if we give ourselves to anything else other than you, eventually it brings death. But the good news is that you've given us Christ. And in Christ Jesus, we are now hidden in him. And what is true of him and what is said of him now is said of us. And what we learned last week, Father, is that we obey you, Lord, not because we are afraid of losing you and not to impress you, but because we love you and that you love us. Uh, we love you because you first loved us. And so, Lord, we pray today as we, if we ask the question of what garden are we cultivating, Father, that you would hit us. The areas in which we are cultivating death, that we'd be able to repent by the grace you give us, and that we would live in holiness. We would live and cultivate holiness in our life that would produce life um, in us through Christ Jesus. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 19 here, um, the second part of verse 19, it starts this, this way. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. So this is kind of our launch verse, verse 19. And what Paul is doing is he's saying, just as, meaning you used to give yourself to sin, or maybe some of you, you're you're there, you don't believe in God, and you're giving yourself to something. He says, what happens is it leads to impurity and lawlessness and even more lawlessness. What Paul is communicating is that there is a progression here. This is not a one-time act. And then he says, but now give yourself to God. Give yourself to righteousness, which ultimately leads to sanctification. Another word for that, um, the word sanctification could be holiness. And that in itself, sanctification and holiness, it's something that is progressive. It's something that continues. It's not a one-time thing that happens in your life, but it's a continual decisions of trusting Christ. And so one is a cultivation of a garden of death, and the other is a cultivation of a garden of life. Um, one of the highlights of my year so far in 2013 is uh, several months ago, there was a redemption community that ran around um, planting gardens for people and building gardens. And so Jim Mullins, who's one of our pastors here, his RC decided what they wanted to do was go around and plant gardens for people. And they were looking for maybe somebody who would just kind of let them try um, practicing on them. And I said, you know, as a servant, um, you know, I'll let you guys come to my backyard and build a garden for me. I mean, only for the Lord, right? And so that's just kind of person I am. And, uh, so they, they came over, and they built the raised bed, and, and they built the trellis. And what you're going to uh, find out really quick here is I know nothing about gardening. I took one plant biology class in college, and I did just as good as the person in front of me. 
So there, there was, there was, there was, <laughs> so there's, there's, there's this, um, so they have this trellis and they have this garden. And we get some seeds that we plant and we get some transplants and some other, you know, plants that we bought somewhere else and put in our garden. And then I begin to talk to Jim, like, how do I get this thing to grow? Like, you know, like I want to, I want to, I want to, I want to bear fruit in my life. Right. And so I'm trying to get this garden going. Well, after time of watering and, and, and removing some things and, and making sure that we're keeping up with the maintenance of this garden, like, there began signs of life. And then we went on a uh, vacation for a few days, and I paid my next-door neighbor, this, like, 13-year-old boy, like, like total movie-type stuff. I'm like, hey, you want to make some money? And I'm like, how much I pay you this much? And he's like, how about you pay me this much? And I'm like, you trying to hustle me, right? You know? <laughs> And so he hustled me, and so I paid him the amount that he wanted. He watered it. When we came back, my son goes, hey, it looks like there's a watermelon starting to grow there. I'm like, that would be amazing, considering the fact that we didn't even plant a watermelon, right? <laughs> but what, what it was, what it was was uh, it was cantaloupe starting to grow. And then more cantaloupe started to grow. And then more cantaloupe started to grow. And then all this basil started to grow. And I'm looking at this going, wow, this is amazing, right? I've never really been a person that really likes basil. But since I grew it, I start using that basil for everything, right? Like, I start putting basil on stuff that you're not even supposed to put basil on, right? I was somewhere, and they had water with basil in it and strawberries. And I thought, oh, yeah, right? And my wife's like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, just enjoying the fruits of my labor, right? Like, I'm looking at all this cantaloupe, and it's good. I'm like, you know what's going to happen? We're going to grow so much fruit that people are going to want to start buying it. We're going to have to start a business. What are we going to do, right? Logistics, right? So I got I to gotta figure this stuff out. Um, it was good. Now, that was several months ago. If you came into my backyard now, what you would see is that there's still fruit there. It's just all dead. The trellis is still there. The vines are still there. There's actually still cantaloupe there. <laughs> but they're all dead, and, and I would love to tell you, like, man, something happened overnight, and I went out there, and they all died. It's, like, it's not my fault. But the truth of the matter is, like, it didn't happen overnight. In the same way that my garden didn't grow overnight, it didn't die overnight. There were conscious decisions that I made to not do stuff to my garden because, because things in my life kept coming up, and there was other things I had to get to, and I had good intentions. Sometimes we think because we have good intentions to do something, it's good enough, and it's not. Like, there's a difference between having good intentions and being intentional. Being intentional is like, I see what needs to be done, and I'm going to make a plan to get it done, to actually do it. Um, Me, things kept happening in my life, mainly college football started. And, and, and I was busy, and, and there's, there's, there's this garden that's just dying there. And so the purpose of this garden was to produce fruit and to have life. And there were moments there that it did because of the cultivation that I was able to do. And then as soon as I pulled my hands back and just let it do what it would normally do, if I didn't intervene, what happened was there was death. Which should remind us what Paul was talking about when we started this letter weeks and weeks ago in Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, Paul said that the wrath of God is being revealed against unrighteousness. And what we said is normally when people think of wrath, those who are Christians and those who are even not Christians, that we have this picture of like God being angry, throwing down fire. But, but what Paul says is like, here's what the worst thing that God can do in his wrath for people now. And that is, let you be what you would normally be apart from his sovereign intervention. I mean, cultivating a garden of death is saying, you do you. Go ahead. And, and, and what we talked about last week, it gives us this, this, this sense that we think it's freedom, 
that we think self-autonomy is freedom, that we can be a law unto ourselves, but what we saw in the beginning of the story and the beginning of the Bible is that's what Adam and Eve wanted, and it brought death. And so the worst thing that God can do for you is to go, if you want to reject God, as Romans 1 says that we all do, and that we all reject him, if if you want to do that, go ahead. And God says, okay, the worst thing he can do is go, go ahead, live your life, look after number one, make your own decisions apart from me, and basically you will be like the garden of death that I have. The purpose of which you were created and what God had for you is no more. You're still a garden. There's still fruit, but it's dead fruit. And then Paul gives another picture of that of life, one that grows, one that flourishes. And so again, the question is, which one are you cultivating? Is it death, as Paul says in 19, lawlessness that leads to more lawlessness, meaning decision after decision to do you apart from God? Or is it life? Is it something that you're giving yourself to Jesus? And that in that, that there's righteousness that leads to sanctification or holiness. And we said holiness and sanctification is an act of God's grace. What we do in that is we respond to that grace, not one time, again and again and again. Death doesn't just come overnight. It's, it's something that we cultivate um, either in activities or inactivity again and again and again. First, just look at the garden of death. Look at, read with me in verses 20 and 21. It says, for when you were, when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at the time from the things of which you were now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. What Paul says is he's talking to people who are now Christians, like many of you in this room. But I also believe that it can communicate to those of you in this room who are not Christians. He said, okay, what fruit, he uses that language, what fruit are you getting from this garden that you've been cultivating? I mean, just look at your life. If you're a Christian, just look at the, in, the, in the rearview mirror of your life and look at some of the things that you did, some of the things that you thought intellectually, some of the activities that you've, that you've, commun- that you've participated in, and let's just see how excited you are about those things. Like, what type of fruit did you get? I mean, and there was fruit, but it was fruit that he says that made you ashamed. And what happens sometimes with us is that we think somehow that this is a one-time decision. We don't think that the decisions that we're making today matter. Christian and non-Christian, the decisions that you make today, the decisions that you made yesterday, the decisions that you're going to make tomorrow, they matter when when in the context of your life before God. Sometimes we just think like, oh, how did this get here? Like we use language in Christian circles like I fell into sin. You don't fall into sin like you just tripped and go, oh, I didn't know, you know. You're not my wife, right? It's like I had no idea. Like, no, you don't do that. Like, I I know we joke about it. Here's what it's like. Um, here's, here's exactly what it's like. So I get on the scale, like I've been on vacation. I get on the scale and I look and I go, oh, how did I get here? All I got to do is go back and go, oh yeah, when I was in Hawaii, I didn't do anything but eat <laughs> and sleep. Well, I was in the ocean. I didn't swim in the ocean, though. <laughs> you know, it's like, I didn't burn any calories. But I look at them and go, how did I get here? All I got to do is look back. Okay. You just have to look at your life when you say, how did I get here? Just look back and you're going to say, oh, wow. Now, what we're good at doing is going, it was my dad. It was my mom. It was these people. It was this thinking vacation points that I got, right? It was something else. And hear me, I don't want to deny that. Like some of us, we find ourselves in a position that we can look and trace that other people's issues or other people's problems, they spilled into our life. 
What I would say is, though, they just provided the perfect context for you, who you are to come out. And that's not to discredit some of the terrible things that we've been through and some of the terrible things that you've been through. But all you can deal with is who you are. Collectively, all we can deal with is who we are as redemption can be. Are we a people that are cultivating death? Well, let's just look at our steps. And the best way for me to describe this, this, this garden of death is, one, just to tell my story, because I don't know your stories, nor should I tell the stories of yours that I, that I do know. Is like, let me just fast forward, okay? So this is me, my senior year. Um, in college, I'm 21 or something like that, and, and I'm sitting on a couch with a bunch of losers, and I'm like the lead loser, and we're all around smoking marijuana, right? And, and then someone asked me a question, and I had this moment where I'm going, how did I get here? Like, how did this become the right thing? Like, at what point in my life did I say, no, what would be awesome is to sit around a bunch of losers and me being a lead loser saying, let's smoke dope. Like, yeah, when I left high school, I just, this is what I want to do in college, right? No, right? So if you rewind, um, when I left high school, I thought, you know what, I'm going to go to college and I'm, I'm going to try to live as a Christian because I'd been around different Christian environments, but I never really understood the gospel. And when I said I've been around environments, guys, I've been around environments. Um, my mom had sent us to a VBS church that was an all-white church. It didn't take. I went to a VBS, which is Vacation Bible School for all-black church. We even went to the Filipino church. I almost took there. <laughs> almost, because the food was awesome, right? But I didn't, right? And, and so when I get to college, for whatever reason, I wanted, I wanted to, to do it. And so when I, when I walked into um, to college, you know, you come to college and there's all of these things that you can get involved in. You can intellectually just completely discredit God. You, you can get into some different activities that the function of your activities just begin to discredit God. There's so many ways at a university in which you can walk away from God. It's not just the partying life. Though I, I, think, I, I think mine for me, it was the partying life. And I went to a Christian fellowship deal, and Tyler Johnson, who you guys know, he taught here a few weeks ago, he was actually one of the leaders of this deal, and I'm sure he was teaching, and it wasn't any good. So I left. <laughs> Just joking. I left thinking, there's either two ways. And I kind of became a functional, like, agnostic person. Because to be truth be told, I remember what was going on there. I knew that God had a way, and that maybe I had my own way. And so what I decided to do was just do, do me. And I wasn't intentionally saying I want to hurt anybody. I wasn't thinking I was creating this garden. But I began to take step after step after step. The first thing you do to cultivate this garden is you begin to reject God. You reject him intellectually. You reject him emotionally. You reject him socially. You reject him by your, by your even functionally, that the way you live. You may be saying, yeah, Jesus, Jesus, yeah, Lord, Savior, all of that stuff. But functionally, that's not what you believe. What you believe and what you do, they go hand in hand. Um, and so you begin to cultivate. First, you reject God. And then what happens in this is that, um, for me personally, that you, you, you kind of have this schizophrenia. Like, you just don't know who you are. And then if you were to ask the 18-year-old me or the 19-year-old me or the 20-year-old me, like, hey, do you know who you are? I'd have said confidently, yeah, this is who I am. Look at what I do. This is great. This is who I am. Because what happened was I began to put on different fronts for different people. Like, you ever seen those houses that are not really houses? Like, on the front, they look really good. They're like, oh, that's a, like, it's like model homes. And you walk around, you realize there's like kind of two sticks holding it up, right? Like, you could push the house over. If you pushed on me hard enough, I probably would have just fell over because I don't know who I am. And here's the deal. I know I'm not the only one. It's all of us. 
we start to become who the people around us are. If we're, if we're in an environment where, where to be intellectual is it, then we find ourselves being intellectual. If we're in an environment where there's certain um, lifestyles that we feel like we have to live, we will find ourselves living to that, that lifestyle, that it comes a point that you begin to get exhausted because you're constantly hiding and pretending you don't even know who you are. And if you, if you find yourself in the position that I was in, you begin sinning in certain ways that you begin lying. And you don't even remember who you lied to and what story. You're just kind of like, this is a problem. And, and, and no one set out for that. Again, when I, when I left home to move out of here, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't think I was going to do that. Um, when people get married, they, they don't set out to one day find themselves signing divorce papers. Right? This is like wedding season, so I've done like four weddings in the last five weeks. And what you do is, and it's beautiful, it really is, every time it's beautiful. You have a woman and you have a man that's saying, I am going to live with you no matter what. And they mean it. And they cry, and then they cry some more because the first time the camera guy didn't get it. And they get it. <laughs> but no way do they think they're going to end up here. Like they had really good intentions here, but not here. Um, it, it, something happens along the way. Um, whatever it is for you, maybe you have intentions that you want to live for God. Maybe you've said it plenty of times, God, this one time, you've made deals with God. Man, if this happens, God, and then God does that, and you're like, ooh, if you do it again, God, maybe. And you have these desires. Maybe you, maybe you made a profession of Christ. Maybe you made a decision for Christ. But then something happened here. What Paul is saying is, um, what type of fruit did you get from that? Like, what did that do? You rejected God. Um, you hide from God. There's lies. There's secrets that people have in this room, secrets that you have. I'm talking to you, Christians. It'd be easy to go, he's talking to those over here that are not. No, I'm talking to you. There's secrets that you have that nobody else in this room knows. No one else in this world probably knows, and you carry it. And every once in a while, it comes up, and you're like, what do I do with this? And you try to shove it down. And the way we do it is we do it by noise. If we just can get people around us and noise around us and we don't have to, like, be quiet with ourselves. Like, one of the scariest things for me in college was, like, being alone and by myself. Like, so when I went to bed, and and we have this issue still, right? Like, the TV had to be on, the radio had to be on, a loud fan had to be on, like, something, because I was afraid if, if I'm alone, God might speak to me. Or I might have to, like, listen to myself, I may have to deal with me. And, and you know what? It's a lot easier to deal with other people than it is to deal with yourself. Because even though we don't see the depths of who we are, all God has to do is reveal just a little bit. And we're like, nah, I'm not really sure if I like that guy. And if these people knew these things about me, I don't think they'd be really sure if they like me. And you, you find yourself there. You ever had that where people think things of you that are not true? They think, they think you're better than what you are, and you don't know what to do with that? One of the things that used to eat at me, and I've shared this before, is because I was such a good guy, some of you guys are really good at that too, and girls, you're just, you're just a good person. And um, one of the things my coach would always say to me is like, hey, you know, you're the type of guy that I want to marry my daughter. And he's have this little nine-year-old daughter, and I'm like, no. <laughs> no, I'm not, you know. And it used to eat at me because I, I knew who I was, and I'd smile and go, oh, thanks, coach. Gee golly, you know, because like, <laughs> that's how I talked. <laughs> but th- that's the reality. We, we, we just, we're just hiding. We make this facade so big that we don't know who we are. We're cultivating a garden of death, of just death. And then so now here I am now 
for the next four years, just living this life, and it's fine. You know what? And I was having a good time. One of the things that, um, that people think is that when it's sin, is just always going to be bad. The Bible says sin is bad, and, and you're never going to like it. And that's not true, right? One of the things Tom Schrader used to say, was our, my old pastor, and he'd always say, sin is fun unless you're doing it wrong. And I thought, that's true. <laughs> like, at the first point, it's like, this is, this is, there's nothing better. But then you continue to eat it enough, and you're going, gosh, this makes me sick. Like, this is killing me. Like, I can't keep living here. Oh, Paul says, yeah, you're not made to live there. It's death. And you didn't get there overnight, so now I'm on this couch, and I'm on, in the backyard, and I'm, I'm the lead loser, and I'm saying it because that's what we were. And I'm with all these other losers. And just two weeks before that, um, just to kind of let you know how bad it got, is that I'm a captain of the football team now, the nice guy. Sports Illustrated had just did this two-page, like, day in the life of me, right? Where they followed me around because I was student teaching at a, at a, a school, a Title I school here in Mesa, and they took pictures of me reading with the kids. It's like, oh, look at this saint, right? Like, he gives up his time to be with poor kids, right? And then, like, three days after that, I get caught smoking marijuana, I'm like, this sucks. Because now, like, me, like, that's who I am. And, 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 and now God allowed that to be showed to the people who didn't see me that way. And then a week and a half after that, now I'm on this couch. You would think, yeah, I learned my lesson. And we're sitting around here smoking dope. And then my buddy, who's the biggest pothead that I know, goes, how long are you going to do this, man? Like, didn't you just get caught? And, like, you... You know how bad it is when someone's worse than you is, like, calling you out, right? It's like, dang, right? You, you know, and I don't know if he was, like, really caring for him. If he was, like, if you got out of the way, I would have more. I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea what his intentions were. But I do know it hit me. And it was just one of those moments where every once in a while, what God will do through whatever means is he'll be able to show you the mirror of your life and says, look at this. This is death. And you, you'll probably say, how did I get here? And all you need to do is just track your lines. Just retrack. Look back and go, man, it started here. And that's death. And it, that's for the unbeliever who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ. And that's even for many Christians. Many Christians talk about how they don't sense God's presence and they don't sense God's joy. And last week we talked about this love of the Father that just washes us. And, and that several people go, I want that. And then we ask, okay, what are you, like, how are you living into that? And there's nothing in their life right now that are just, just giving themselves to Jesus. And Paul says, there's a reason for that. Like, that's a warning to you as a Christian. Like, you don't want that life. Like, that's not your life anymore. That's not the way God created you. You were created to produce fruit and to flourish in the name of Jesus. And so that's not your life anymore. And Paul says, here's the good news. God is able to do what I'm not able to do and I never could do. And God is able to do for you what you were never able to do for yourself. And that is to take dead fruit and make it alive. That is to take dead things and make them new. That is to take a cold heart and make it warm. That is to take a dead life and give it new life. This is all an act of God. And when God does that, he gives us the means and the ability by the Holy Spirit, his word and his people to be able to cultivate a new life that produces fruit. Here's how Paul says it here in verse 22. Um, after talking about this guarding of death that brings us shame, he says, but now, meaning something's happened. Not that you did, not that I did. I didn't get off that couch and say, you know what, guys? Put that down. Let's pray to Jesus. And all. No. 
Like God began to intervene in my life. In fact, it wasn't that day. It wasn't even the next month. It was over a series of events that God revealed himself to be for me good news. I was trusting in myself, and now I can trust in Jesus. Paul says, but now you have been set free from sin, and have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification, and it's in eternal life. Do you see how God is doing this? When it comes to the cultivation of a garden of death, it's all you apart from God. God says, go ahead, do your thing. But in the gospel, God says, I will do my thing in you. The very purpose of what you were supposed to be, what you were created for is to be one with God. And God says, here's what I'll do with you. And here's what I'll do for you. That I've set you free from the power of sin and from the slavery of sin. And now the fruit that you get, meaning there will be fruit. And every single Christian's life, there will be fruit because God is in and with every single man and woman and child of God. That though sometimes we are cultivating death by his Holy Spirit, he brings the right conviction. Though many of you are still hiding and carrying things, God comes in and he says, I will do something new. And the cultivation that we have now that leads to sanctification or holiness is progressive meaning it's not just a one-time act. Some, some of you are old enough to remember some of the language that people used to say, have a decision for Christ, a decision for Christ. And you hear this, make a decision for Christ. And the truth of the matter is that Christians don't just make a decision for Christ. We make many decisions for Christ. That every single morning that we wake up, we're saying, God, we need Jesus. Every single morning, we're saying, God, we need the Holy Spirit that we know that the life that we have before us is that the proclivity in me is still trying to cultivate death. I need the tools, the resources of the Spirit that I may cultivate the life in which you've already given me in Christ Jesus. So if I'm going to resurrect my garden that I have at home, that, and, and honestly, it's kind of gross, what I need to do is I'm going to need to uproot a lot of that stuff. And then there's some different soils and materials I'm going to need to put in there. And then also I need to get the proper plants for the, you know, the appropriate season in order for me to now begin to cultivate it. And if I do all those things, the growth in itself is not because of me. Ultimately, the potential is in the seed. We know that. We can't create a seed. The seed is already there. You put it in there. I can water it. I can pull weeds. I can make sure it gets the right amount of light. And I can make sure it's the proper plants that are in the appropriate season. And then it could grow. And the same way that when God plants the gospel in you as a seed by the word, that what we do as Christians, individually and corporately, the way we cultivate life is that we come alongside one another. That's called the one another's in Scripture. That we see exactly what it is that God is teaching us in his word, and we submit to it. And then we pray on behalf of Christ Jesus and our Father for the love of God to be appropriated in us, to be manifested in us by the Holy Spirit. All we're doing is providing the context. And God himself says, and you will get fruit. And this fruit will lead to holiness. So holiness, hear me, is not something we strive for in our own efforts. Holiness is something that we rest in in Jesus. The work that we do, and it is hard work, is we are cultivating the proper context for God to be manifested in us. It's not a one-time act. It's not just a one-time decision. It's daily, um, hourly, um, monthly, constantly saying, Jesus, we need you. Let us live into your glory. Amen? And God says, that's the life. That's the life that you have, and that's the life that you can have that leads. And hear me on this. Um, just, just keep it in the metaphor here of growing. There are seasons where you are growing, and it won't look like you are. Like pretty soon here, for those of you guys who have trees, um, all the leaves are going to fall off at some point. 
and it's going to look like, especially the tree in my backyard, that there's no leaves and it looks like it's dead. We should chop it down. No, no, no. But you know what? In Psalms 1, it talks about that. It talks about that person who is righteous because God is righteous and who is like a person, it says, that plants himself near the stream, but it says that in its season, it would produce fruit. When it comes to holiness or sanctification, there are moments where you still will be battling with sin. And sometimes it's the same sin that you've been battling for a while. That doesn't mean that you've lost God. and doesn't mean that he's not growing you. It's progressive sanctification. It's not a one-time act. Um, there are things that will allow you to grow better. We say it all the time. It's God's word. It's God's people. And it's God's spirit. You take any of those ingredients away from it. Um, it's not that you will never grow, but your, your growth will be, um, will be slowed down significantly. But you have to know that you can't just look in, at your life today. You have to look at the totality of your life and look and go, is it a garden of death or is it a garden of life? A garden of death is a consistent decision to reject Christ, to do what you want to do. Or is it a garden of life to submit to Christ, submit to the one another's, the trust in his spirit, knowing that in due time that you will reap a harvest in Christ Jesus. My, my, I implore you, that we would live this way. Well, let, me, let, me, let me wrap this, this up here. When Paul takes this famous verse in verse 23, the last verse in chapter 6, that I believe um, wraps up all of chapter 6 and even this message. He says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He says the wages of sin, meaning um, this activity that you do again and again and again and again and again, it leads to death. But the free gift, something you receive in Christ Jesus, is, is life, an eternal life in Christ Jesus. So placed before you, Christian and non-Christian, is an opportunity to live in death or an opportunity to live in life. Um, he, here's what death is like, because we've experienced it to some degree. It's like running on a treadmill as hard as you can, as fast as you can, and trying to go somewhere. You're sweating, you're tired, you're, you're exhausted, and you go nowhere. You go nowhere. And some of you are on the religious treadmill where you're just trying to do good deeds because you're thinking, if I can keep living up to my religious activities, I'm going to be holy. And you're just exhausted. And some of you are spiritually exhausted and you're trying everything you can do um, instead of resting in Jesus. Some of you are on a different treadmill where you're running after different things that are other than God, but and you're equally as exhausted. And you're, all, you're never going to go anywhere. You may have the illusion that you've gone somewhere because maybe you've lost some weight and you're sweating and you don't understand it, but you've gone nowhere. There, there was a study, uh, or actually a, a department that was started at the University of, of Yale, and it's a stress management uh, classes that they have there. And what the professor did is the professor came in the first day of class and he held up uh, a glass of water and he held up in front of the students. And um, everyone thought it was going to be the, the, you know, the old, is it half full or half empty? But he didn't ask that question. He's asked the question, how much do you think this weighs? And different students start going, oh, it's four ounces, it's five ounces, it's six ounces. And he goes, okay, um, it doesn't matter um, how much it weighs. The better question is, how long are you going to hold it? Like, it doesn't matter how much it weighs. It doesn't matter how much it weighs. It could be heavy, it could be light. It, it, it matters. If, um, the better question is, how much are you going to hold it? Or how long are you going to hold it? And he says, if you hold it for a certain amount of minutes, your, your arm will start to tingle. And if you hold it even longer, it's actually going to start cramping. And then eventually, if you hold it for 24 hours, he says, your whole right side of your body has a potential to go numb. Um, and I think that's a perfect picture of our sin. 
Like when we cultivate this garden of sin, it's not that our sin is so bad that God couldn't do anything with it. It's not that it's too heavy. It's too heavy for us because it weighs us down. We feel it. The question isn't how, what we've done or how many times have we done it. The question is, how long are we going to hold it? How long are we going to try to deal with it instead of saying, God, would you take it? What Paul is saying is when you cultivate a garden of death, you're trying to hold on to it and you're trying to fix yourself. And he says, keep trying, but it's never going to work. It's only going to weigh you down to eventually it's death. Or the free gift is God saying, give it to me, all of it. I'll take it, I'll redeem it, I'll make it new, and I will resurrect my life within you. And that begins the process, the long process of cultivating a garden of life that ultimately leads to living in Jesus' love for all eternity. Amen? So the question, or I didn't even the question, the response for every single person in this room, Christian or not, is give yourself to Jesus. If you're not a Christian, give yourself to Jesus for the first time. He'll take it and redeem it and redeem you. If you are a Christian and you find yourself on that treadmill of sin, cultivating that garden of death, is repent and trust Jesus. He'll take it, no matter how fast or how far or how hard you've ran. He always welcomes his children. Let's pray.